Our gospel lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from the 11th chapter, verses 16 through 30. Again, that is Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 30. I invite you, if able, to stand for the reading of the gospel. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You know, it's interesting. I always... uh, enjoy how the texts and scriptures that I'm preparing so often fit so interestingly into the activities and the things that I'm doing. You know, it's almost like there's a plan. Now, before we go any further than that, it's not my plan. I'm not that good at planning. I do believe that is just how good God is. Just recently, I took a group of our youth on a trip and we went up, and there was another church full of youth, and they had their kids, and I got to see the interaction between the two, and, and sort of, I hate to say it because you're not supposed to really compare, but I did, and we won. <laughs> our kids are awesome. But as I was thinking about our time there and reading this scripture verse, I always enjoy the beginning of it because it's kind of an interesting observation Jesus makes. It's, it's a neat little saying. It's one we're familiar with. But, you know, the, the, the story of the children in the marketplace. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We mourned and you did not weep. Now, 
many of us read that and we go, okay, that's, that's nice. But it's kind of hard to really understand what's actually going on. You see, imagine, if you will, back in those days in the marketplace, which was sort of the center activity, kind of like the town square used to be in days of old when everything that happened happened up there. And we still have a lot of stuff that does, but let's face it, nowadays lots of stuff happens at the schools and on the fields and in various other places. We've got lots of places to go to. But back in these days, pretty much if you weren't doing your actual job, you were in the marketplace looking to either buy or sell something. And of course, in those days, kids, well, you were extra hands. You may not have been able to carry everything, but you were expected to be there and carry stuff in and help your parents get set up and prepare. But of course, once it's prepared, now the kids are in the way because you're trying to get the people in for the retail to sell them. And so the kids are often kind of shoot off to the side. And so as you can imagine, these marketplaces with all of the things and all the commotions going on, there's kids running everywhere. And of course, what do kids do when they have a little free time? They play. I mean, we would as adults, but you know what I think is I think we're just tired. We're like, we get some free time, play. No, I'm going to think I'm going to nap. I think I'm going to sit down in a comfortable chair. But not kids. Kids are full of energy. And so they're playing. And in this particular verse that Jesus quotes, what you have is you have a group of kids that want to play. And they want others to play. Come out and play with us. And so what they're saying is, hey, look, we tried to play the game where we pretended to be at a wedding feast and, you know, everybody could sing and celebrate. We all know that one. But y'all wouldn't play that with us. And so we said, okay, well, we'll try this, something else. And so we, we played the morning game, pretended it was a funeral, and y'all wouldn't play that with us. Basically, why won't you play with us? Why won't you get involved? Why won't, I mean, because let's face it, you guys ever had a kid come home to you upset because they were at school or at the playground or something, and somebody wouldn't play with them? They couldn't understand it. Or maybe yourself, maybe, maybe you yourself have ever been someplace where you wanted to be involved in something, you wanted to be invited into something. And no matter how available you made yourself, you just didn't get tapped on the shoulder for it. Well, that's kind of the scene that Jesus is painting here, that there is this anxiety, this, this pain from not being included, not being involved, not joining in. But there's a reason for him using it because he's now going to build on that and he talks about the relationship that John and he had with the people. He says, John came and he neither ate nor drank, and you said he had a demon. In other words, John the Baptist, and he had just been talking about who John the Baptist was, if you read in the earlier parts of this <clears throat> chapter. He'd even gone as far as to explain to them, John the Baptist is Elijah who was promised. In other words, this is the prophet. This is what's going on. And yet, here was the man sent by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. And instead of following him or listening to him, you criticized him because he was a little bit different. He was a little bit odd. And so now I've come, and I've walked among you, and I've been with you, and I've gone to your dinner parties, and I've eaten, and I've drank, and I've hung out with different people that needed me, and all you can do is criticize and say, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He is not worthy of this title. In other words... You would not engage. You would not play. You would not be involved with either John or myself. And if that wasn't clear enough, he then quits using imagery and just goes straight to it. And he names 
the three cities that are the ones that he spent the most time in doing the greatest deeds of power, the greatest miracles. And he says, woe to you. In other words, he's condemning them. He's pointing out. He said, for if the deeds were done here, then in these other cities, and think about the first two cities. Now, do we know much about Tyre or Sidon? Has anybody here done any studies on those? They're on the coast. They're kind of Gentile cities. They're basically, well, they're cities the Jews look down on. They have ports and they have trade, so, you know, they do it. But we all know when he mentioned Sodom, what he was talking about, right? Did anybody not get that slam? Does anybody forget the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Show of hands, anybody not know that? Okay. And the people are like, I don't know it per se, but I'm not going to. Okay. Well, I'll just give you a quick review. Sodom and Gomorrah, horrible city. Sodom was the one where Lot was, and there was a lot of bad things going down in there, and God basically overturned the whole city because they were so evil. All right? And he's now saying to Capernaum, the place where he spends most of his time, you think you're good? You think that you're in? You think that you have it made because I've been here? My disciples have been here. We've been with you all this time. And you think somehow you're special? Well, you're not. Matter of fact, if all these things that happened here had happened at Sodom, Sodom would still be here today. On the day of judgment, it'll be better for them than for you. Now imagine that. Imagine. Imagine if I sat here and told you, okay, you're sitting in church, you're worshiping God, you're good people but you think it's better for you? Now let's think of some groups out there. Maybe some folks that are in prison for doing really bad things. Or let's think about some countries. Heck, let's, let's pick on one of my favorite ones to pick on. The Russians. They recently have been uh, causing problems in the Ukraine. You probably have heard of it. A little country next to them, they invaded, did some really bad... Actually, they're still doing bad stuff now. China's doing their bad stuff. We can all find that. But what if I told you it would be better for those that are there than for us? Even though we think we're good, the truth is because of not hitting the mark, not fully getting it, it may actually be better for those because if they had had the opportunity we had had, they would be in a better place. How would you feel about that? Other than forming another search committee. wouldn't feel good. Well, Jesus is stating that. And it's a painful thing to hear because it is basically, you have had this witness. You have had these miracles. You have had me preaching. You had John come in and tell you what was what. To try to lead you by the hand, very simply, into what God's will is for you, and you blew it. You didn't play ball. You didn't join a team. You didn't join in. You didn't sing and you didn't weep. You didn't come out to play. You just hung back and watched from the sidelines. Now that's pretty harsh to hear. Now how many of you have been asked at different times in your life if you've chosen Jesus? Anybody ever ever heard that? Ask of you directly, probably when you were a little bit younger. Have you chosen Jesus? 
Have you accepted Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you got Jesus in your heart? And I'd be willing to bet most of us, all of us, have said, yes. Yes, I do. And that's awesome. Now, Paul had a very interesting commentary today. What did he say? That which I want to do, I do not do, and that which I do not want to do, I do. The things that I hate are the things that I do. And why does he do that? He says so. Because of sin. Sin is in my flesh. Sin has got control of me. And because of sin, I now do the things that I should not do, and I do not participate. And so Paul basically is saying, I have no choice. I want to do right. I want to choose the right things. And yet, because of my flesh, because of the status that I'm in, I am trapped in this. And the law came down, and the law was good, and the law was perfect, but all the law did for me was point out how wrong I am, which sometimes is how it feels both in the Jewish religion and in ours. When we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at how we're supposed to live, we say that we've accepted Christ into our heart. But how many of us, after accepting Christ into our heart, after having Christ as part of us, then continue to do things that are not Christ-like? How many continue to sin after they've been saved? I will tell you, every single one of you, and me, and everybody I've ever met before. I have never met anybody that has met Jesus Christ, that has accepted Jesus Christ in their heart, and then from that day on walked a perfect life. Now, I will say they walked a better life, but not a perfect life. And that's what Paul's talking about, this duality. This Yes, we have a choice, but even within our choice, we are stuck sometimes within the choice of not necessarily doing good, but doing less bad. And doing less bad is a good thing, is it not? I think so. But it's not a great thing because it's not really doing good. You're just doing less bad. So you're still doing bad. It can get really confusing. It gets really complicated. It can give you a headache. And if not a headache, at least a heartache. Knowing that we are trapped in a broken world and as broken people. And that even though we have chosen to follow Jesus, we still trip up and fall down. But you know what? Sometimes things that are very complicated have the most simple of solutions. But that's kind of the problem. The the solution is almost so simple that we skip right over it. Have you ever heard of the Gordian knot? Anyone? All right. Well, it's a big knot. Now, it was famous for, it was said that anyone who could untie this knot would be a great conqueror and be able to solve any problems in conquering. Alexander the Great, you may have heard of him. He was presented with the idea of, of, of getting through this Gordian knot. And he brought all his, all his wise people because that's what you do when you're in charge. You get advisors, you get people that know stuff. See, you don't have to know everything if you can find other people that know stuff and will tell you. 
And so he got all these other people around this knot trying to figure it out, and they couldn't undo it. And of course, he was superstitious, so he was thinking, if we don't get it undone, I'm stuck. Now, all of these very learned individuals who had studied all kinds of things could not figure out the solution to this knot. Alexander walked up to it, and he came up with a solution. You know what he did? Took out a sword and cut it in half, but not unraveled. Probably not the best way to do it, but I can tell you what, the first time I solved the Rubik's Cube, it's because I learned how to break that little thing apart, and I could put the cubes all back where they needed to go. So I tried pulling the stickers off, but they didn't go back on so good, so people knew. When you did that, it looked like you solved. Again, sometimes the solution to complex problems is very simple. And so we ourselves have this complex problem of we've accepted, we long for Jesus, we long for the law, we long for a right relationship with our Father in heaven, and yet we are stuck in a broken world and even in our brokenness. And sometimes, even though we try to do the greatest good, like Paul said, that which I want to do, I cannot do, but that which I do not want to do, I know that it is wrong, I know that I shouldn't, but I find myself still doing it. And it's sin. Now that may sound like a very fancy way of saying the devil made me do it. And that excuse goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Actually, Adam said the woman made me do it, and the woman said the devil. It gets complicated. But basically, it's an excuse, but it's also a reason. It doesn't justify it, but it does explain that we are trapped in this. And so if we're trapped in this duality, and we have a choice to accept Jesus, but yet we still continue to do something's wrong, what does that say about us? We're flawed. We're broken. But no one wants to admit that. Because we keep thinking if we just work hard enough, if we just struggle, if we just strain, there's got to be a way out of it. But what we're finally told is no. There is, in fact, nothing you yourself can do. See, Jesus then goes into, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you hid this from the wise. All the smart people, all the people that think they know. He didn't give it to them. He didn't give it to the intelligent people. Who did he give it to? The infants. The babes. Remember when we're told that we must receive the kingdom like one of these little ones? You see, oftentimes we overthink it. We get in there and we go, well, I'm a Christian, so I should be doing this. Or even worse, we see other Christians doing something like, you're a Christian, you shouldn't be doing that. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't have its place as long as it's done in love and not just because you feel better than that. The problem, though, is what can we do individually or as a group to earn our salvation? How is it that we ourselves can attain the kingdom of heaven? And the answer, the simple answer is we can't. We have to receive it, not like the wise who think their way to it, not like the intelligent that figure it out like a problem, but like an infant. Like a general cutting through a crazy knot. The simple way. We accept a different reality. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened. And we are heavy burdened because we, no matter what, we still struggle and try to do things our own way. It's in our DNA. It's in our nature. We just think if, you know, how many of you have ever said, I got to get right with God? I have. 
There are many times when I thought, especially when I'm getting ready to preach, especially when I'm getting ready to do a Bible study, and I'm reading something and I'm thinking about something from my past, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 10 minutes ago, and I think that wasn't right, and the thought comes right to my mind. I got to get right with God. I got to fix this. And then I hear that little whisper, that still small voice that says, you cannot fix this. You cannot repair this. You cannot mend this because you are a sinner and all that you touch is tainted. Even the greatest thing that you do will eventually become undone because of your sin. However, if you will lay that aside and quit trying, Quit trying to think your way or act your way or work your way through this. If you will simply just be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that it is my actions that will do this. Take on my yoke. Quit struggling with this earthly yoke. Quit struggling with these complex situations that we are never going to find a right answer to. I'm telling you right now, no matter how wise you are as a Christian, There's somebody out there who's not a Christian who's going to ask you a question about your faith someday and it's going to rock your world. Because there's some really smart people out there. And quite frankly, some of the things that we think about are really complex. Because they will ask you, okay, well, did you save yourself or did Jesus save you? And you'll say, well, of course, Jesus saved me. But then you'll say, but I I asked him into my heart. So then again, you see how that can become very tricky? And even in our own minds, we're like, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, my salvation or Christ? Well, that's an easy one, Christ. Because he was co-eternal with the Father. Jesus is constantly trying to teach his disciples and us. The solution is very simple, although it's hard. Because you have to keep doing it. The solution is this to let go of your earthly burdens, to let go of your earthly thinking, to let go of this hold that sin has on you. Because in truth, sin does not have a hold on you. Why is that? Because sin is dead. Remember that whole cross story and resurrection? Jesus Christ had victory over sin and over the grave. And if he has victory, then it has no power. So in truth, the sin that is holding on to you is not holding on to you, but we are holding on to it. And so again, today, Jesus reminds us, lay that burden down. It is not worth carrying. Take on my yoke. That's where you belong. That is where life is. And let me guide you and walk with you and ultimately carry you, as was always the plan. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for this day. I thank you for the rain which our community has so greatly needed. I thank you for even the times without rain, where that makes us rely on you. Lord, whether we are in want, in need, or in plenty, and being blessed in all things, you are with us, you go before us, and you come after us. You are our master, and you are our savior. 
So we praise you and glorify you. We just ask, Lord, that you would allow us to quit trying so hard on our own and simply to accept that which you have given unto us. We pray this in all things in your holy name. Amen. Amen.